Welcome to the Attention Deficit Disorder Expert Podcast Series by Attitude Magazine. Hey everyone, it's Susan Coffin, and you are listening to Attitude Magazine's ADHD Experts Audio. Our expert talk is about language processing deficits in children with ADHD, and we are very fortunate to have Dr. Gail Richard with us, who is an expert in this topic. A very significant percentage of children with ADHD have difficulty understanding oral instructions and information, have difficulty retaining and interpreting language correctly. I think Dr. Richard told me that as many as 25% of children with ADHD have language processing disabilities and even more have other language-based learning disabilities. So for many children with ADHD, this is a language processing disorder that might be impairing their ability to attach meaning to verbal input and to formulate appropriate responses. Today, Dr. Richard will explain to us the common language processing challenges and provide suggestions for developing stronger skills and facilitating processing at home and at school. She'll talk to us about such topics as how to differentiate language processing deficits from auditory processing challenges and from ADHD symptoms. They're oftentimes diagnostically confused. I know from my own experience, some of the common signs of language processing deficits in children how they affect children's social skills, a real challenge for for children with ADHD, how you can go about getting a thorough and an accurate diagnosis, and she'll give us some tips and strategies for addressing language processing challenges at home. Let me introduce Gail Richard briefly. She is a PhD and an emeritus professor at Eastern Illinois University, where she specializes in childhood development language disorders. She's the author of over 10 books. I'd love to have her name some of those books in a second. And she's given well over 500 presentations at academic meetings around the country. She's a fellow of the American Speech and Language Hearing Association, that's ASHA, where she currently serves as president. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Richard. We're, we're really happy to have you. I would also like to thank the sponsor of today's webinar, which is Fast Forward. Fast Forward is an online reading and language intervention software. It's designed for home use that targets the root causes of reading struggles. Fast Forward is offering Attitude Readers a free month of their Fast Forward home service, perfect for the summer. It's a combination of the Fast Forward software plus a Fast Forward consultant to help you set up and monitor. It's pretty much ideal for jumpstarting reading intervention at home this summer. You can learn more at fastforwardhome.com or click the link in the presentation for the free month offer. Thanks again to Fast Forward. With that introduction, let me turn it over to Dr. Richard again with our thanks Thank you, Susan, and welcome to all of the listeners on the webinar. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss this topic with you. Um, I want to begin by kind of doing an introduction to what processing is, and it's a very complex disorder, and it encompasses many skills. And so I like to use an old Hindu fable that is about six blind men who are exploring an elephant, and each of them are asked to describe what an elephant is like. And so the person who is at um, the ears say, well, an elephant is like a fan, and the person who's like at the trunk says it's, it's like a snake. The person who's at a leg says, no, 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 it's like a tree, and the person who's at the tail says it's like a rope, and the person who's at the body of the elephant says it's a wall. And the point is that each of those men are only seeing one aspect of processing. And it results in a lot of confusion that people can say, no, it's this, it's this, it's this. And it's because there 
are so many components to processing that sometimes it's misdiagnosed. Sometimes we're working on the wrong thing. And so what I want to do today is help define the major components of a processing disorder and then give you some strategies for working on it. So when we look at auditory processing, which is usually what the referrals are made for, a, a CAP disorder or an auditory processing disorder, APD, that uh, definition is on the slide in front of you. And auditory processing is a very pure acoustic phenomena. It is the ability to deal with an auditory stimulus. And so when we look at the specific aspects of it, Again, it's, it's very pure about did you get the auditory signal accurately? So auditory pattern recognition is if you can discriminate pitches, high and low pitches, sound localization is where it's coming from. Um, Competing messages, when, when there is background noise, can you get to that primary message? And so when we look at auditory processing, we're really looking at the auditory stimulus that's present in the environment. Did it get in accurately for the individual to then try to interpret it? If it is distorted and you're getting garbage in, then obviously it's going to be very difficult to accurately interpret it. So we get garbage out. So auditory is really about the signal getting in accurately. When we look at language processing, this is much more functional. And most of the time, this is actually where the problem is, that the auditory stimulus signal is received accurately. The problem is in trying to attach meaning to that signal or to interpret the message that's encoded within that auditory signal. So when we look at processing, we're talking about the ability to attach meaning to a stimulus that we've received. And we process in all modalities. So for example, I could have you close your eyes, I could put something in your hand, and through feel, you could process or figure out what that is. We can also process through smell, through taste. So we've received a stimulus and then we have to interpret it or attach meaning to it. And we have to do that in a more, more complex way with an auditory stimulus because it's an abstract representation of that message, which is why we see so many language processing problems. The problems that result from a language processing problem are really what is typically picked up. And so it's kind of the secondary symptom or the domino effect of the processing disorder. When it shows up in reading, spelling, splinter kinds of academics, maybe math, your written language, and what tends to happen, particularly for our students with ADD, ADHD, is that the learning disability is diagnosed because they're having difficulty in reading or spelling or math. But we don't back up and figure out why are they having trouble in these academic subjects. And usually it's the language processing problem that's creating those challenges in those academic subjects. The primary characteristics that we see in processing disorders um, are pretty typical um, within ADHD as well as our general learning disabilities population. So one big one is a lot of generic language, thing, stuff. It's over there. What's it and where's there? And so we get this very general kind of language that's nonspecific when they're trying to explain things to us.
Phonemic confusion is where we get similar sounding words, but we attach the message wrong because we went to the wrong phonetic component. I'll tell you a little joke about that. There was a six-year-old boy who brought his grandmother her morning cup of coffee. And as she drank it, it was the worst cup of coffee she'd ever had. And when she got to the bottom, she realized why. And it's because there were three of the little guys, um, army, green army men in the bottom of her cup of coffee. And she said, honey, why are my army men in your cup of coffee? And he said, well, grandma, on TV, it says the best part of waking up is soldiers in your cup. Now, Folgers, soldiers, very similar sounding words. And if you are a six-year-old, Folgers means nothing to you. So I changed that sound a little bit to something that does make sense to me of soldiers. Word retrieval, that's trying to pull the accurate words quickly and efficiently. Latency, we see this lag time. We ask a question and it takes a long time for them to respond to us. Um, descriptions are something that happens a lot and sometimes it gets kids in a little trouble. When um, it's time for the spelling test and the teacher says, get out your piece of paper, your pencil, and they're ready to go. But here's a student with ADHD with a processing problem. And he's talking to the student in the desk next to him saying, "Can do you have an extra, you know, I want I need to borrow that, you know, that thing that's got lad eraser that you write with. Well, by now the teacher is like, what's going on over there? It's why can't he just say pencil? Because he can't pull that specific word. So he ends up with the description. In a young child, sometimes we think that's kind of cute. So we say, oh, we're going to the park. And the child says, oh, can we feed the quacken birds? Okay, the quacken birds, that's cute. But when you're 10, we expect you to say the ducks, not the quacken birds. And so we see those descriptions instead of specific terms. We get a lot of I don't know that they just give up and don't even try to attach meaning to the message. And then we see problems with that abstract language, particularly literal interpretations, humor, sarcasm. Again, a little joke um, for you. Teacher asked the student to use the word pregnant in a sentence. And so the little boy said, the fireman came down the ladder pregnant. And the teacher said, um, do you know what pregnant means? And he said, yes, carrying a child. And so that literal interpretation um, can get in trouble when we have processing problems. The other thing we see is the student seems to have it. And then the next day, it seems to be gone. So they need a lot of review. So when I talk about processing, what I like to do is think about it as a continuum. So we start in a very pure auditory modality of this sound is out here in the world. I've got to take it into the ear and transfer it through the brainstem to the upper cortex. I have to discriminate some of the components of that auditory signal. And that's where we get into some phonic phonemic kinds of processing skills. And then I've got to interpret the message and apply meaning to what I received. And that's language processing. The problem that we get into sometimes is the complexity of so many skills, so many different areas of the brain that are involved. But generally, when we look at this area, the auditory through the phonic phonemic can be the domain in terms of evaluation of an audiologist. But then that phonic phonemic 
into the linguistic or the language is kind of the domain of the speech language pathologist. And the problem we get into is that overlap area in the middle where that phonemic processing can be auditory diagnosed or could be language diagnosed. So if you went to an audiologist, they may say the child has an auditory processing problem, but the difficulty is actually in that phonemic area. It's not in receiving the signal. And so we have to be real careful and sort out within the evaluation where the deficit is and where we're having problems. So what I'm going to do is just very quickly walk through the continuum so that you understand the different aspects of processing, and then we'll look at some specific strategies in each aspect. So the first is the acoustic processing, and this is where we look at the sound being present in the environment. You need to take it in and transfer it to the brain, and we get into some very specific, what we call central auditory nervous system skills. So we have the peripheral auditory system and the central auditory system that are involved in what we call auditory processing. So we'll look first at the peripheral auditory system. The peripheral auditory system starts with the ear, <laughs> that there's sound out here in the world that we've got to take in. If an individual is deaf or has a hearing impairment, then we have difficulty taking in the signal accurately. Many of our students with ADD, ADHD have experienced ear infections as a young child. And so if they've had fluid in the ear, that sound has been compromised and they may have heard distorted signals, particularly through those preschool years, if they had a lot of those ear infections. But we have the outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. And when we look at the peripheral auditory system, that is really about collecting the auditory signal that has a message encoded in it. So the outer ear is like a funnel that collects that sound. Then we have to transmit it through the middle ear. When we have fluid, that's usually where the fluid is. And so we don't conduct it always or transmit it very accurately. Then we get to the inner ear, which is the cochlea and then we transfer to the eighth auditory nerve. So the eighth auditory nerve is where we start to transition from the peripheral auditory system that picked up the signal and has moved it through. Now we've got to get it through the brain stem and to the upper cortex to attach meaning to it. And so this is what we call the central auditory nervous system or sometimes referred to as CANS, C-A-N-S. The central auditory nervous system then starts where you see what looks like the little snails. That's the cochlea and the eighth auditory nerve that then transfers that signal through the brain stem. We have two ears, and what you can see is a lot of redundancy in these pathways. And where you see those little dots, those are crossover points. So we have two ears, that signal went in, and we've got lots of places where we have internal redundancy to make sure that signal is transferred through the brainstem accurately to the upper cortex. And so if it is breaking down or getting distorted, getting compromised as we try to move it from that peripheral auditory system 
through the central auditory nervous system. That is an auditory processing disorder. The signal is being distorted or compromised before it ever gets to the brain to then try to interpret the message. If you look at the top level, you see Heschel's gyrus. That's where it enters the upper cortex. Now, when we look at central auditory processing, or CAP, what that is responsible for is transferring that signal to get it to the upper cortex. If the signal gets to the brain intact, you don't have a central auditory processing problem. But if it gets distorted or compromised, then we have what's called CAPD, central auditory processing disorder. Now, we have a lot of students with ADHD, ADHD, who are misdiagnosed with a CAP disorder. And part of the reason for that is that the tests for central auditory processing are pretty complex. And so let me give you an example of the directions. Um, what we do in a CAP evaluation is what's called dichotic listening. So one ear gets a signal at the same time that the other ear gets a different signal. So directions are something like this. You're going to hear a sound in your left ear. At the same time, you're going to hear a different sound in your right ear. I want you to tell me which sound you heard first in your right ear. So we have lots of variables involved in trying to do a CAP evaluation. Certainly we have attention, which is a problem with those directions. We have left and right. We have same and different. We have these concepts that are also part of language. And so sometimes students don't do well if the audiologist doesn't know how to make accommodations for that attention deficit disorder or the language disorder that can compromise the results. If a child can echo or repeat what I say, then the signal has been received intact. It wasn't compromised on the way up, and it's not a CAP disorder. Now, if it is a true CAP disorder and it's about the signal, then what we need to do in terms of strategies is make sure we get the signal in better. So that's when we do things like... Um, preferential seating in a classroom, that we get the child's visual attention so that they can supplement some visual signals to help with that abstract auditory signal. We try to get rid of the background noise. We can use um, some of the um, classroom um, amplification devices. It's all about getting the signal in accurately if it really is an auditory processing problem. Many times students are diagnosed with CAP, and so we work on amplification, we work on preferential seating, and that's not the problem. The problem is dealing with interpretation of the signal, and we're working on the wrong thing. If we move to the next area of the continuum, that's the phonemic or phonic area of processing. And this is really the preliteracy foundation. This is sound symbol correspondence that plays into all of our spelling, reading, written language. And this generation is really weak in this area because they are visual learners. Um, they're not paying attention to many of the auditory components because they would rather watch things. So that visual focus 
is not developing the right auditory listening skills. These students are not doing things like nursery rhymes and playing with Dr. Seuss books where we play with the sound components of the language. So when we look at the skills that are involved in phonemic processing, we're looking at things like segmentation or analysis. So um, can I pull apart the sound components in a word? K, a, t. And the opposite of that would be the bottom one of auditory synthesis or sound blending, where I present those sounds separately and the child has to blend them together so that k, a, t becomes cat. Closure is where I leave some sounds out and we see if the student can fill them in. So I might say new payer and the word is newspaper. Um, localization, where it comes from. Memory, can I hang on to it long enough to get the um, message pulled out or decoded? So these are some of the skills that are part of a phonic or phonemic processing disorder. So the strategies for this is to make sure that we tune students into discriminating the different auditory sound components. So you want to play games where they are trying to hear the differences in sounds. Nursery rhymes, Dr. Seuss are great. We want the child to play detective, to analyze and play with the sound segments. It's really about discriminating now aspects of that signal in a sound symbol correspondence. And so when we're in the car on a trip, you can play what's called the last sound game. So I say a word, cat, and you have to come up with a word that begins with the last sound that you heard. And so this isn't about spelling, it's about the sound discrimination. I also remember as a child, we would play um, moving through the alphabet as watching billboards. And so someone had to find something visually that started with A and then B and then C. So instead of plugging into the Game Boy and electronic devices, we need to be playing sound language games in the car. What a great way to work on these skills in a fun, stimulating way that's non-academic. So when we look at the phonemic processing, we're looking at the sound segments. The last or the next level in our processing continuum is where most of the problems are. Nine times out of 10, we're at the level of linguistic processing, the language component trying to get meaning pulled out of the sound that we've received. And so most of the processing problems are at this level where we're taking this abstract signal and trying to attach meaning to it. And this is the basis of most of our academic learning challenges. So the different kinds of skills that are involved in language processing are to really work on idioms, figurative language, multiple meanings, non-literal interpretation, to take this sound segment and understand all the different things that it can mean. When we look at linguistic processing, this is where we want to make sure directions are very clear. One good strategy when you're giving directions to students with processing problems is to have them repeat it 
back to you. Make them explain what it is I'm supposed to do. Make sure they understand and receive that message. Play games that will compare and contrast. Go on walks where we're finding some of these language components. But this is really about the linguistic clarity, the meaning and attachment of it to what I've received auditorily. The last level is a relatively new area, and this is executive functions. And executive functions is when we move into the prefrontal frontal lobes. And this is a huge issue for our students with ADD, ADHD. This is where we plan, organize, manage our responses. So we can have some students with processing problems who can do these very discrete skills when we test them very well, but they can't integrate them. They can't use them in a functional way. The analogy that I use in one of my books on development of executive functions is an orchestra analogy. So if you think about all of the different sections in an orchestra, um, each section can be very good by themselves. The conductor's job is to bring all of those together with a nice balance so that they work together and integrate for a pleasing overall effect. That's what executive functions are about, that I have all of these isolated skills, but now I've got to be able to integrate them and manage to get to a good coordinated kind of response. So when we look at the aspects of executive function, this is a huge area for our students with ADD, ADHD. The flexibility, initiation, planning, organizing, memory, problem solving. This is often what happens to be overlooked in our treatment paradigm that we develop all of these skills and then we dismiss the student and we didn't take it to the last level of the orchestra conductor to get it integrated so that I can use it effectively in a school setting. And so with executive functions, what we want to do is put some of those strategies in place like checklists and chores and routines and organization that's going to make it easier for the student to use these skills in an effective way. So then just some general teacher strategies and then some student strategies before we open up to some questions. So as a teacher, what we wanna do, I'm not gonna go through all of these, but I'll highlight a few. Anytime we can teach in a multimodality approach, that is always more effective. If there's visual motor to accompany the auditory, those are more concrete modalities and it makes more sense. Demonstrate, show me, as opposed to just talk at me. When we um, look at some of the research on ADD, ADHD, and learning disabilities, what we have found is that we need to um, be very careful about timed tests. So um, what students are learning is to do it fast, and they sacrifice accuracy. And really doing things fast is about an automaticity. It means it's been learned, and now we're working on the efficiency of that skill. What we really need to do in our education system is back off the timing and put a focus on accuracy instead of a timed math test. The other thing we've learned is to shorten 
the length of assignments. Instead of doing 50 math problems, do 25. Because what happens with our students with ADD, ADHD is they look at 50 and they're overwhelmed before they even get started. And after they get to 25, they're undoing the learning and they're not focused on the last set. They're much better off doing half as many with a careful focus, make them worth two points instead of one. But you'll do much better in terms of addressing what they really know and compensate for the processing problems. A few student strategies to highlight um, is we try to teach them to ask more specific questions instead of general ones. So if the teacher's just given a long direction like, um, all right, class, I want you all to put away your reading and turn, get out your math book, turn to page 25 and do problems one through 15. And the student goes, what? Teacher's not going to respond to that very well. But if um, the child would say, okay, I know we're supposed to put away reading and get out math, but what page are we supposed to turn to and what number of problems? The teacher's more likely to help them and realize, yes, they're trying to listen, they're trying to get this, and even better for the teacher, write it down or break that up. There's too many pieces in that direction. We try to teach the student to be an active learner, be patient, don't give up. And we also say use peers. Ask the person next to you what you may have missed. Ask them to clarify the direction. The student usually won't stop the class, won't go to the teacher, but we don't want them sitting there lost. And so as long as the teacher okays it, there's typically, and I'm stereotyping, but future teacher of the world in that classroom, and we can pair them with that student who has processing problems and let them keep that student on track instead of always having to stop the teacher. I also want to draw your attention to games. This is what we need to be buying for birthdays and Christmas is playing games that focus on language. And so even to work memory with um, Simon, where we've got the visual that goes with it, but playing things like categories, um, playing things like um, Upwards, Twister, things that use language in a fun way. Madgab is one for older students. Um, but we need to be playing language-based games. When we look at the goal of treatment for a language processing disorder, our nine times out of ten, again, it's in that area of either the phonic, phonemic, or the linguistic language area of processing. We do need to make sure we've looked at making sure the signal's getting in, but that's pretty easy. You know, I can speak to you in a foreign language, and if you heard me and you repeat it accurately, it's not cap. It got in, you heard it, but you can't respond because you don't know that foreign language. That's what it's like to have a language processing problem. I heard you. I can maybe even repeat it, but I can't interpret and pull the message out of that. So there are programs out there, aerobics, fast forward, hooked on phonics. Um, there's another one called Hear Builder, H-E-A-R. But what we want to do is make sure that we take the time to sort out where in the continuum the problem is. You can spend a lot of time and money working on the wrong area. You need to know if it's auditory acoustic, phonic phonemic, or language linguistic based. 
And often the speech language pathologist is your best resource to get a good evaluation to sort out where we are on that continuum. So um, just to conclude, um, many of the problems that we see in our students with ADHD come in because of a language processing component. And what we wanna do is not focus on the learning disability of the specific subject area in deficit and tutor them in that. We need to go back to the source of the problem, which is usually language. Um, and so I, I do just want to mention, um, I have a new book, well, it's actually a second edition that's just been updated. Um, it's called The Source for ADD, ADHD. It is available from Dynamic Resources. And I also have um, a couple other books that pertain to this area. They are available from ProEd. It is the source for language processing disorders. And a second one is the source for development of executive functions. So there's actually books in each of the areas that we've talked about um, along that continuum. So thank you very much. I hope that this was helpful and we'll go to some questions. Thank you. Super helpful. I want to ask the listeners, um, please post so that I can see your, your specific um, issue with language processing, your child's, yourself, what exactly, how is language, language what brings you to this webinar and, and what, what would really help you going forward? Um, we already have some great questions. Let me just ask you, Dr. Richard, again, to repeat um, how to buy your books. I posted the source for ADD, ADHD, and the source for language processing disorders. Where did you say they were available from? Um, the uh, source for ADD, ADHD is available from a company called Dynamic Resources. Okay. And um, it is actually, um, the first edition is no longer available. The second edition is in press now. So if you okay. just give it a month, it, it should be out. And then the other two that I mentioned are available from ProEd, P-R-O-E-D. Um, and that's the source for language processing and the source for development of executive functions. Okay, great. I've, I've seen those, the source books. They're generally wonderful. Um, they're really yeah. written to be very practical, practical for teachers, for parents. And then um, I also have, also with ProEd, I have two assessment tools for some of the professionals who might be listening. So okay. there, there is um, the language processing test that actually um, assesses this continuum. And then there is also the differential screening test for processing disorders, um, that was written with an audi audi audiologist. And so it actually does the whole continuum. It's on a CD-ROM. So it does the auditory area, the phonemic area, and the linguistic area. The CD-ROM takes 30 minutes and it helps you pinpoint exactly where the breakdown is so you know what kind of treatment you should be doing. Okay. Um, that leads me to a question that's uh, one posed by a number of listeners. Can you talk about the diagnostic process? How should a parent proceed? A number of people listening in have children with an IEP or have otherwise been diagnosed, but they've never, their children have never really been diagnosed correctly for language processing deficits. What are the, what are the best steps for a parent to take who's concerned about that? 
Um, really, uh, contacting a speech-language pathologist is your best bet to sort out the um, language processing disorder. Um, speech-language pathologists work in the public schools. They work in hospitals. They uh, Usually, uh, another good resource is a university that has a training program in communication disorders. Um, but many times what people do is think they've got to start with an audiologist and a CAP eval. And again, nine times out of 10, it's not going to be CAP. And many of our ADD, ADHD students are going to fail that diagnosis and be misdiagnosed with a CAP disorder because of the complexity of it. So if the audiologist isn't well-versed in ADD, ADHD, they may not know how to do those modifications. So your best bet for the diagnostic process is really to access a speech-language pathologist. Okay. Can you just explain again? I know you did, but um, the... the practical difference that that we would see in our children between a CAP disorder and a, a language disorder? Yeah, actually, the behavioral characteristics will be very much the same. You're okay. going to have a, so I say something to this child and they go, huh, what? Now, it what could you, be. What did you say? <laughs> exactly. That's like the and, classic, right? Right. And the problem is it could have been that it got all distorted. And so what you said came in as garbage. And that would be an auditory processing problem. Or it could be, yeah, I heard you. And it was blah, 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 blah. And it's really, I can't interpret it. I can't hang on to it long enough to get the message out of it. And that's language processing. So I actually have done literature review where the symptoms in terms of the behavioral characteristics for these two are almost the same. And that's wow. why it's so important to sort out in a good evaluation where the breakdown is. Okay. So that, that would really really be a, a speech and language professional. Um, is this normally part of the IEP process? So many people are posting that their children have had IEPs, but they did not, they were not tested for language disabilities. No, unfortunately, what happens in most of the learning disability diagnosis is that they focus on the academic deficits. They don't focus on why they're there. And so one of the things 80, well, actually about 95%, if you consider um, the, the executive functions also, about 95% of learning disabilities are based in language. Only about five to 6% are like those pure, pure visual reversal kinds of things, right. et cetera. And so whenever there's a learning disability that's diagnosed, I really encourage parents, whether the school offers it or not, to say, could I have an evaluation by the speech-language pathologist? Okay. So, yeah, there are numerous people posting here whose children have been diagnosed with dyscalculia, dys dysgraphia, dyslexia, whatever, but... Oh, Susan, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you said that because all of those are symptoms. So dyscalculia is, I can't calculate, I can't read, I can't do this. And what they're doing is picking up little pieces of it, but they're not backing up to why is it there? Why can't I do this? Right, right. Okay, that makes so much sense. So people are, so kids are being diagnosed with subject-based problems that have as their origin a language-based disability that needs to be treated as such, right? Um, exactly. Okay, that's very interesting. So what people are posing is that um, 
there's their school districts oftentimes don't have a speech and language uh, professional or they're overworked. I guess that that their only alternative in that point at that point is to do a, a private evaluation if Yes, and that's why I mentioned the university programs because right. anytime there's a training program for speech language pathology or what's called communication sciences and disorders, they will have a university clinic. And often um, you can get a good evaluation there that's reasonably priced because it's part of the training institution. Okay. Yeah. That would seem to be so often the problem with attitude readers. You know, they just have such a hard time finding their resources at any affordable level. Um, So, yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, The other thing, um, and I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the... the, the, the DIS step, that differential screening test of processing that I mentioned that's available from ProEd, it's written by myself and Janan Ferry, F-E-R-R-E. Um, she's the audiologist. That's a CD-ROM. And so um, sometimes other professionals can pop that in and administer it and at least sort out where the breakdown seems to be occurring. But it's a screener. So it's not, um, it's just to say, you know, the auditory looks like they're doing okay. The phonetic looks like it's okay. It seems to be at linguistic, but that will help when you make that referral to say, you know, I think it's really the area of language. Can you repeat the name of that? I'm just posting it to the, to the audience. Yes, it's, it's the differential screening test of processing. And it's also available from ProEd. That sounds like a great tool. So an interesting couple of questions about how language processing disorders um, change or don't change over time. Developmentally, ha- ha- what happens to a child with develop- uh, language processing disorders, you know, early, edu- early years of elementary school, high school, and even as adults? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. Um, within young children who have a CAP disorder, an auditory processing disorder, quite often that is maturational and it will respond to treatment. Um, if you do a CAP evaluation on a four-year-old, every four-year-old has auditory processing disorder because the system is still myelinating. It's still connecting. And that's one of the reasons most audiologists won't do a CAPI valve for a child who's younger than six. Um, That um, if you go, and when I get a child who's diagnosed with CAP at age four, I'm like, well, yes, every child has that at age four. And so many times if there is some myelinization slowdown and some cap aspects, um, it will um, actually resolve over time. And so if we get that cap evaluation later on, that's when we really need to focus that treatment on getting that signal in there. Um, Most of the time in terms of processing disorders, the treatment can resolve a lot of the problems as well as teach the individual how to compensate for it. So um, some of it will actually improve and diminish. Some aspects of it may be there through a lifetime, but at least I know how to deal with it. So Mm -hmm. for example, I may always be a slow processor. I may always have that latency. I, I have a niece who's brilliant. She's a teacher, but she is the slowest reader and she knows it. And she knows that she has to 
take a long time to assimilate things as she reads it. And so she just knows that and can accommodate that. And so some components may always be there, but as long as you know how to compensate for them, they don't have to be a deficit. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, Christina wants to know, this is an interesting question, what are some reasonable goals the school can implement in an IEP with respect to speech and language? She points out, confirming what you said, that the IEPs tend to focus so much on academic problems and not this, this language source. Um, what kind of goals would you like to see in an IEP for a child with speech and language disabilities? Um, there, there's two types of goals that I always want to see. And one type is what I would call compensatory goals or accommodation goals. And the other would be specific skill goals. So some of the accommodation goals um, that we might see would be the use of visuals, the use of cues, um, but also it might be for the student that um, we see a decrease in the latency time or that we see that they're not using as much general generic kinds of language that they're getting to specific information. That may mean that the teacher has to cue them or prompt them or give them the first letter. Um, one of the things that I, I use when I do workshops is to think about um, testing for states in their capitals, for example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if it's just pull it out of the air, a lot of our students with processing problems because of retrieval are not going to do well on that. But if we give them the first letter, if we start them, and so for um, Arizona and, or I'm sorry, for New Mexico, for California, for Illinois, we've got that S down. And if the student writes in the right capital, they knew it. But if they couldn't pull it from nothing, it, it doesn't help. And so when I say, when a teacher says, well, giving them the first letter is giving them the answer, I say, really, well, do you know how many cities there are in Illinois or California that start with S? And if they got it, they knew it. And so many times what I look for teachers to do is that cue or that prompt that's going to help the student pull the language on their own instead of it needing to be provided for them. Okay. Um, the specific skill kinds of goals would be to actually work on those areas that I listed. So there could be some phonic phonemic goals in terms of auditory discrimination, auditory segmentation, auditory analysis. In language, it could be things like idioms, non-literal meanings, multiple meanings. So those would be some of the specific skill kinds of goals. Okay. So there are a set of accepted language disability goals that can be added to an IEP. It sounds that that's, that's something parents should look for. Yes, absolutely. Some interesting questions from people with um, parents of children who are teenagers or headed into college, um, where I guess, I suppose language um, is even more of an impediment, language processing. Can you recommend any tips or resources for, for students at the college level who have language processing disorders? Yeah, one of the nice things about some of the technology in college now is that often they use some kind of a blackboard system where there's PowerPoints and notes and outlines and things available to the student. But um, 
usually the deficits by college level are going to be in the executive functions. And what we find is that because those things are available, the student thinks they don't have to take notes. The student sometimes doesn't even read a textbook. And so what we find is we have to really work on them to say, these are the teacher's notes. You need to put these in your own words and make sure this makes sense to you. You need to be able to take a question and recreate an answer. Because when your eyes go over that field um, reading this, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. But they're not investing the time to actually learn it. It's just a, a glance at the material. So we work a lot on the executive functions. And in a study table, it's things like quizzing them, asking them to recreate it. You make an outline. You recreate the slide based on this thing so that they actively engage with that material. Um, you know, it used to be tape record and you get all of this background noise and it's horrible to listen to those things. So it's really just a matter of making the student engage with that material in a very active way instead of a passive way. Yeah, very hard to do, right, when you have a language disorder. Um, are there any, what about the tools such as LiveScribe or other um, tools that help take notes? Um, yeah, there, there's a number of them out there, and many of the learning disabled students will use those. Again, the graphic organizers are great. Um, and so I, I'm not familiar with a lot of the okay. specific programs, but yeah, those are all good strategies. Great. Um, a question about the relationship between dyslexia and language-based disorders and ADHD. Um, are they, are, is dyslexia a, a, a subtype? How does it relate to language, language processing disorder? Um, dyslexia is interesting because, again, there can be different reasons for the dyslexia. Uh, Some, sometimes it is a visual distortion kind of problem that is creating the difficulty in interpretation. So if, if we do a comparison to language processing, um, if I have garbage in acoustically, it's being distorted, compromised, I'm going to get garbage out. Same is true in dyslexia. If my visual is distorted, I'm getting garbage in, I'm going to get garbage out. If we move up the continuum in terms of language processing, I, I got the signal in, but I can't attach meaning to it. That's where most of dyslexia is, that my eyes have gone across this and I just can't attach the meaning or decode or comprehend what's going with it. So we can also have that breakdown at the phonic phonemic level, where the sound symbol sequencing, I can't, um, I can't blend these sounds together to get to a word that has meaning for me. So within dyslexia, the same kind of issue occurs. We treat the reading problem as a whole, but we don't back up and say, so is this a visual distortion? Is it a phonic phonemic discrimination problem? Is it a linguistic interpretation problem? Got it. Oh, that's really interesting because I always thought of dyslexia as being a standalone item, but you're saying it's like other, it's a symptom of an underlying um, language processing thing disorder. Very interesting. Exactly. Um, and that's why the continuum makes so much sense to me to think mm -hmm. about at least the major skill areas that are mediated in the brain 
to pinpoint our treatment a little more specifically than just kind of throwing the kitchen sink at it. Right. Absolutely. Interesting question about how does, how do language processing disorders affect social skills? Um, it, you, it, it really does impact social skills, uh, especially in um, younger students, because there is, we're, we're working with normal intellect, we're working with awareness, and I have seen students with language processing problems diagnosed as having autism spectrum disorders, selective wow. mutism problems, and social pragmatic language disorders, and when I really get in there and evaluate them. What I find is that it's like they're in a foreign country, that when people are talking to you and you cannot quickly interpret what they're asking you, you're going to look away, you're going to ignore them, you're going to pretend you didn't hear them, or you're going to isolate yourself because you don't want to look stupid. So we can indeed see social kinds of problems that are secondary to the fact that I am really struggling to pull messages out of this acoustic phenomena that's coming at me. Right. And, you know, so much of, I remember this from my own, one of my daughters, middle school is all about girl chat you know, the girls chatting. And that was just really difficult for my daughter with language processing disorders. She couldn't oh. take part in those chat, those girl chats. I don't know well, how to describe it, but you know and what you, I mean. Right? Well, and you think about colloquial language and you think mm-hmm. about text speak now, and it, it's so abstract and it's so much based in reading between the lines. And a child who has language processing problems is working very hard on the actual words it's very difficult for them to pay attention to the nuance of the vocal inflection, the facial expression, the body posture that changes the meaning completely from what the words are. Right. Wow. It's, it's, really, it's really difficult. Um, well, language processing just affects so many aspects of life. It's, it's extraordinary because um, we live in such a verbal culture, right? I mean, so... Um, Well, and and that's an interesting piece is that many times we get kids who are kind of what I call street smart. They they say the right things because they've learned to do it in that situation, but they're covering a significant processing issue. Mm -hmm. Wow. How does language processing impact? Oh, this is very interesting. Multiple choice or different types of test questions. Oh, very, very good question. One of the things I say to teachers, and it's actually, I think, on that list of teacher suggestions is to vary the kinds of questions that you put on a test for our students. Um, Generally, multiple choice is better. Um, A word bank, a matching, so that the, the language is retrieved. And the student doesn't have to try to pull the language out of the air. It's a matter of putting the language into the right context. And when I get a teacher who resists, um, you know, multiple choice, because that's giving students the answer, then I will say things like, oh, so you had a perfect ACT or SAT, (laughs) because the answer was there. You know, if it's multiple choice, if I don't know that isn't going to help me. I have to know before that's going to help me. But if if we, like my states and capitals, if we can do the first 
letter, if we can do a word bank um, for spelling, if I can circle or sequence or something as opposed to pulling it from nothing. We're still getting at the learning, but we're not making them retrieve all of that language from thin air. Yep. Makes sense. So overall, then, is it is for children with severe language processing disabilities, should they be seeing a speech and language therapist weekly? Yeah. Yeah, 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 they really should. And sometimes um, there can be really good speech language therapy that's done in conjunction with a classroom teacher because that's the functional application. So there might be some individual work where we work on these skills. But again, when you move it into that executive function area, we really need to collaborate with teachers to make sure that that ability to plan, manage, organize, respond appropriately is happening in an integrated, functional way. Okay. Listen, this has just been so interesting and so informative. Dr. Rich, I can't thank you enough. Thank you to Fast Forward for their sponsorship. We are very grateful, and you should all take advantage of checking out their free month of the Fast Forward Home Program. So thanks again for all that you do and all your information today. Bye, everyone. For more Attitude Podcast and information on living well with attention deficit, visit attitudemag.com. That's A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E-M-A-G.com.